Hello and welcome back, listener. You are listening to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast, where we're taking you on a journey of education and storytelling. I am Michael, one of your hosts. And I'm Wes. Hello. We're excited to be back in the studio producing this podcast. The season one was such a valuable piece of work and we had to just give you more. And guess what, Wes? We have only got a new sponsor for season two. Who do you think it is? Well, I know it is, actually. I'm going to tell the listeners. Go on, then tell them. Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre was established in 1989 with an outstanding track record and have created over 7,000 babies as a result of their care over the last 34 years. They've also equally supported the treatment of LGBTQ plus people through their active sperm donation, egg donation and surrogacy programmes. In addition, they also offer fertility treatments such as IUI, IVF, ICSI and PICSI and much, much more. For this episode, we wanted to talk to you about one of my surrogacy journey's latest developments. We're also joined by one of our favourite faces. Today's podcast is all about Mexico City and the latest pathway that we have created to effectively and ethically guide you on a route to parenthood. We're joined today by Andrew Spearman, partner and head of family law at Leighton's ETL Global. Hello, Andrew. Hi, guys. Hello, stranger. <laughs> nice to see you again. <laughs> how Andrew's are you? Andrew's like our resident lawyer, isn't he? He's like, I'm here for the wonderful chat and the drink. Absolutely, of which there is no drink. <laughs> I'm, I'm disappointed in yeah. myself. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. How are you guys? I'm, yeah, we are good, thank we're you. We're good, and we're here to talk about what has fast become my favourite topic of <laughs> conversation because it seems to take up a lot of my life at the minute. <laughs> and I know that we are on a trip soon, Andrew, yes. to the brilliant Mexico City. But today, uh, what we really want to cover off on the podcast is really giving people a real broad understanding of Mexico City and why we decided to choose this pathway, who's eligible for this pathway, and just really start to talk about some of the real detail of the pathway. And I know that the listener will be really interested in in all of the different components. Yeah. And I think as well, one of the things that I have to explain or feel like I have to explain when I'm talking to people about surrogacy in Mexico is that this is Mexico City. And I'm very specific about making sure they know the difference between all of the different types of jurisdictions and surrogacy in Mexico. And that'll come out, I think, as we're talking through, going through some of these questions. But Wes, let's just give the listener a bit of background as why we chose Mexico City. I also think it's worth acknowledging that Mexico City generally over, you know, the last five, 10 years has had quite a bad reputation around surrogacy. And we have to talk about that in the round. And we'll come on to when we look at Mexico City as a, as a, as a region and, and its population and how it varies massively from, from some of the other areas. So anyway, Come on, Wes. Why did we choose to create a brand new pathway in Mexico City? We were always looking for a destination that was kind of sat in the middle ground because if you were looking at domestic surrogacy in the UK and didn't want to wait for the timeframes that domestic surrogacy has, or if you didn't have the budget for US or didn't have the patience for Canada, if you, particularly if you were a same-sex couple, there was never this kind of middle ground. Especially with Ukraine off the agenda. Yeah. So then that then did is made it even more and of important destination because with Ukraine out of the mix, then there was a, 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 a location where heterosexual couples or heterosexual single people could use to create their family. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things, one of the other important elements of why we chose Mexico City was that because you can do double donation. 
or if you are viral positive, HIV positive, that route is a route that you could use. Whereas some of the destinations, you, you can do this, but you can't do that. Whereas Mexico City seem to really offer all of the family building routes and whatever your circumstance was, it was Mexico City would look at that. And and we like the ethics. The ethics behind it was good. And Andrew, you were there right at the beginning when we were like, Andrew and our other lawyer friend, Natalie Sutherland, we were like, we want you to come to Mexico City with us to help us interrogate the process and see what we think of it. What fun we had. It was excellent fun. Um, I'm very glad you... Oh, you dragged me. It was a real, real struggle. It really was to get me there. You know, the idea of, of that sun and the tacos, I mean, sign me up. But actually getting to meet people and getting to eyeball the professionals on the ground and actually see where clients and patients and things will be going along and seeing what actually happens was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it was an excellent opportunity. I think people who are listening should take the opportunity to explore Mexico itself, the wider regions and see about Mexico, but Mexico City, where this will all take place and before making decisions actually go and see it on the ground mm -hmm. it was really important for us to go out to mexico city to make sure that if we were going to put our reputation if we were going to recommend this mm -hmm. and recommend this as a safe pathway we wanted to be out there we wanted to meet all the partners like andrew said face to face see the clinics we wanted to kind of do the pathway that intended parents would do when they arrived in Mexico City. We wanted to see it for ourselves. And subsequently, we've been now a couple more times and we're due to go out again. So as an organization, we've committed to going out to Mexico City every quarter. We want to be out there to build stronger relationships with our partners, mm -hmm. make sure we're building a really robust infrastructure in country to help support people, both at the start of their journey, but also when they are you know, taking delivery of their, their new family and having that support mechanism in country because it is different to having a family in the UK and there are going to be elements where they don't have that support network around them. So we want to try and provide as much as possible. But Michael's giving me the look now as if I'm waffling. So you let's... are. You need to just keep to the questions. Right, Andrew, <laughs> give us some history on Mexico. This is where we need like a jingle in the background, like a like a school... <laughs> Uh, like a school teacher. So give us some geography, history, and the mechanics of Mexican surrogacy and why it may have a bit of a checkered reputation. Gosh, do you want to go all the way back to when the eagle landed with the, the, the snake in the mouth on the top of a cactus do it, on the do it. island, which is how they got there? I mean, uh, yes, uh, my Mexican history is quite quite rough and ready and not something that I think I'd inflict on your, on your listeners. But uh, from a purely legal perspective and looking at it from a surrogacy perspective, it's relatively new as a jurisdiction. I think that's probably fair to say. It has a lot of history and background to it. And that's where obviously a Mexican lawyer would go into huge detail uh, about the mechanics of that. But uh, as a Mexico as a jurisdiction, it's certainly one of the newer sites for the surrogacy as a destination. That doesn't mean it's any worse. It doesn't mean it's exceptionally better, but it does mean that as we talk and we develop points that listeners will see it developing as it goes through. So yeah. research and research and research is going to be uh, anybody's strength, just as it is for ours as well. And that's also true of other jurisdictions like the US or, or Canada or um, Cyprus. Anywhere you go, research, research, research. The key bit for listeners, I suppose, is remembering that Mexico state is made up of multiple states. It's not a single codified system or legal jurisdiction. It has a federal state and the local states as well, a bit like the US. And you don't go to a Californian lawyer and say, oh, you can advise me on Utah law or, or 
that's probably a bad example, but the the you know you appreciate they're all very different, and therefore each state in Mexico is very different. And when you look at the states where you're being told about a particular state, remember that it is that state and not the neighbouring one. And while uh, Cancun or beautiful places and destinations to go on holiday may be fabulous to pick up and get some sunshine, it might not be the right destination for you to go for your surrogacy. Which is why we're talking so much about Mexico City, yeah, it being one that's been developed and and the law that's been developed in Mexico City as a case law has allowed this pathway to come on leaps and bounds in a much more um, uh, transparent way and other laws and other jurisdictions even other other states within the Mexico state system are being challenged even when they bring forward pro-surrogacy legislation uh, where they seek to restrict it for example to opposite sex couples they're then challenged because it's part of the equality diversity within Mexico state to challenge inequality and mm-hmm. so the legislation is then challenged and is rejected mm-hmm. because it doesn't allow foreigners to to access the pathway or it doesn't allow same-sex couples to access the pathway. But they are all very different states, just like the US. So I think people have got to remember that when they're looking at Mexico, when they say, oh, I'm going to Mexico for, for a surrogacy. No, no, you're going to Mexico City yeah. for a surrogacy. And that's why I always have to correct people when they're... And I think, because I think it's really important because when you do... Google or do start doing some rough research and you see some of, of, of the stories that have come out of Mexico, it, it, it can be quite alarming. So it's nice to mm. nice to put people on that right path. My understanding, Andrew, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I know you're not a Mexican lawyer, but there is no specific law around surrogacy in Mexico City, but there's precedent at a federal level, which then kind of sets precedent for how surrogacy can be navigated through in Mexico City. And I think that's not uncommon, is it? So are you asking and answering the question in one then? Yeah. Will you let me finish? <laughs> that's not uncommon, is it? No. In destinations where there's surrogacy is perfectly legal there, but there's no specific surrogacy law. Yes. I, I think it's important to sort of distinguish a little bit from some other uh, grey destinations. I mean, I think surrogacy, as you look at it on a uh, if we step back from, from Mexico, despite the fact we're talking about Mexico, um, we step back, you've got those which are clearly regulated, UK is included within that, uh, those which have a clear line of legislation like in the US or sort of states in the US, and that's a checkered bunch anyway, clearly regulated in Canada. Then you've got the other end of the scale, which are unregulated but not prohibited, um, certain countries in Latin, other Latin American countries slightly problematic, even worse in African countries. You know, you've got those which are danger zones. And then you've got places like this with Mexico, which firmly sit in the middle, but on the better side of the middle, where, as you rightly say, whereas, you know, you've got a legal precedent from the Supreme Court of Mexico City, which allows the recognition of legal parenthood to actually come to fruition. And there is a pathway there to follow, um, provided you hit the criteria which your Mexican lawyer tells you about as you go through, because it is a very narrow pathway and a very much a dictated pathway because it's not legislative and it's not regulatory. So there's no codified pit they can point to and say, oh, if this doesn't work, then just do it this way. No, no, it's this way. And this is the way of getting the judge to approve your parental status. And it works, but you have to be on it or you have to work with an organization that's going to help you be on it exactly like me (laughs) (laughs) and us (laughs) let's just focus on the uk legal process then so one of the things that we often hear intended parents say not necessarily through this particular pathway but those that do international surrogacy when they then come back to the uk or they're about to come back to the uk and they're like oh hang on we've got to go through a process tell everybody about that I mean, I really hope from your listeners that that's not the first time they think about it. No, it won't be from our listeners. <laughs> yes. But you never know. 
You never know. Well, you know, I wasn't in court this morning dealing with one who had that problem. Really? But, uh, but not 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 Mexico. Thank goodness. Uh, another Latin American jurisdiction. But um, people will always get around. But if you research and research and research, then you should know about this process on your return. And there are two limbs to most people coming back. One is the actual physically how do you get back yeah. side of it, which I'll, we'll, we'll probably talk about in a bit. Um, and the other bit is the parental order and the recognition of your legal parenthood here which is an application to the family court in the uk and an acceptance that although you may have gone through all this procedure and rigmarole in mexico you have to still do the process in england and wales and you still have to do that in order to be recognized here and that's to get your legal parenthood and to get the parental responsibility and those two things work in tandem to allow you to effectively be a parent here um it's not a criticism of where you go you have to do this whether you go to the us or canada or out of mongolia you still have to do this process when you come back it is one rule for everybody um it's not contingent on you being a british national if you live abroad you still just do it for your if you're a british national but if you live here you can be from anywhere uh, you must still go through this process of a parental order if you want to be recognized as a legal parent and things that flow from that are your ability to make decisions for the child that's your parental responsibility or inheritance uh, and things as a parent and uh, tax reliefs which uh, parents give to children as part of their death estate so there are hard consequences for your child you guys you know you can probably get around and immortally you know you get asked oh, do i really have to do it i was like well you as parents or, or intended parents can probably fudge it um, and that's, you know, what obviously as a lawyer you should never say to people. But the reality is that you can navigate your way around in really complex ways, the laws that are meant to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the person that suffers is the child at the other end, because mm-hmm. as soon as something goes wrong, the wheels fall off. Yeah. And that's when you end up spending an awful lot of time and money with people like me. There you go. Moral of that know, story. We know how much it costs, Andrew. So. <laughs> go and get your parental order done. <laughs> is my <laughs> advice to you. Absolutely. Let's just touch a little bit on immigration because I know this ties in yeah. a little bit and I know that you're not on an immigration specialist so we're going to put a caveat out there but there are, I, I speak to a lot of people who have questions around their status. One might be a British national, the partner might not be, might have indefinite leave to remain or various different status. How should a set of intended parents who have any questions around how their immigration status would impact the returns process, how it would impact the parental order, and how it would impact ultimately the future of their child. How should they approach that, Andrew? So there's quite a lot of questions in there. Thanks, Wes. That's 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 lovely. <laughs> um, let me do what a lawyer does. Let's unpack that um, in different ways, in which case I ignore the bits I don't want to talk about and, and choose the bits I do. Uh, let's start in, in a sequence, an actual sequence of things when people are thinking about coming back. Obviously, the return back to the UK can be quite a stressful thought. Uh, most people think about that well before they even think of the parental order, despite it being the other way around, um, It should be done. Your return to the UK requires a travel document of some kind. Um, for most people when they travel and they go and do international surrogacy, it's the uh, US, Canada, Mexico, all allow you the child to obtain the citizenship of that country. Each of them have different time frames, and you are beholden to that country's immigration status and that rules from that country about obtaining that passport and nationality for travel. All the countries I just mentioned, they return back to the UK uh, on the back of that passport mm-hmm. and are visa-free. So you don't need to do additional steps. Your return to the UK can be as streamlined as possible by doing your research into which route you're taking. Now, if instead you are reliant on the British passport for some reason, and again, I'm not sure why you would when you can go to Mexico and get that, but perhaps the timeframes don't work or you've got some other reason why you don't uh, don't want that, then of course you'd have to apply 
in Mexico for the British passport before travel back to the UK. And there you're reliant on the genetic connection. It comes down to legal parenthood. It comes down to um, the process of the British uh, embassy there and the passport office recognising that this child is entitled to British nationality. And that comes down to as well whether your surrogate's married or single because mm-hmm. that, that then the English law tells who the parents are. Are they the surrogate and her spouse, uh, husband or wife? Or is it the surrogate and the genetic male parent through common law? Um, so there's a lot of questions as to ifs and buts and maybes which you have to think about before you've even matched with your surrogates. Most people, however, do what we said before. You get the passport in the local jurisdiction, travel back on that, and then the parental order process steamrolls through and provides you with a new British birth certificate which has both the intended parents' names on, whether it's two guys or two, two women or a man and a woman, and then you apply for your British passport on the back of that because that's then your source. You only have one application for British passport, one way that you, you get your British passport um, with the right authority to do so, and then continue to travel. Um, what you can't do is sit in the other jurisdiction not have a Scoobies about what uh, what passport you're getting um, and then expect the British government to provide you with an emergency travel document. Mm-hmm. They won't. They just won't because it's not an emergency. You knew what you were doing. That's what they'll say to you. You knew what you were doing. You weren't prepared. That's not an emergency. That's just you being unprepared. Um, apply properly for your child's first passport mm-hmm. uh, as everybody else has to. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had conversations with the British passport office, lovely as and, and stressed as they may be, but they have absolutely no... Um, sympathy at all for people who are unprepared going out for it that's i think it, it has to be a bereavement in the family i think the only way i got one last time was my client's dad died and coming back for a funeral that was the level you've got to get to and yeah. hopefully you're not kicking off parents <laughs> to get back to the uk um but they've got they've got strict rules to follow quite clearly yeah it's, it's a detailed process and any iteration which doesn't have for example two if, if only if neither of the intended parents are British nationals, then they'll hopefully be relatively familiar with the process about why they are entitled to remain in the UK and what their own passports require. If we're looking at um, German or French nationals, what do their countries, if you want to have the child have uh, German or French nationality, what do those countries require from you as well? Um, that might change the course of your birth certificate process and when you get it or what names you have on it and what you don't have on it. Uh, have you got to do something really convoluted? If we look at certain, shall we say, hostile states which are developing on our own doorstep, then you're going to have to think very carefully about which route you take and what you do uh, as they will or won't accept certain parts of that. So, I mean, that's a really vague way of saying, you know, anything complex, you've got to think about the return a bit more carefully and which passport or which base passport you're starting with some are fairly are obviously easier than others and the child's rights to remain will still be linked to yours once the parental order is made yeah and i i think i speak to people a lot and i say to them like there's no perfect destination for surrogacy but it's about finding the one that kind of ticks all of your boxes and there's going to be a level of compromise somewhere mm-hmm. for a lot of people you know the time it takes to get a, a passport in mexico city can take up to three months for some people that's a deal breaker but I think in any destination that you go to internationally, there's going to be a period of time in country mm. and you can't guarantee right at the start of your journey when you're choosing that destination, how long that, that period is going to be. You know, I think is a, a lot is dependent on whether you can get the court order issued pre-birth, because if you don't, then there's there's more time post-birth waiting for that order to be issued before you can then apply for the in-country passport. So I think it's always about building in some flex 
if you're on a tight schedule and can only allow up to three months, then that's really, is that the route for you? You know, mm. it's, it's always about building some contingency in it and, and knowing that this is fluid and that it's never exact. You mentioned pre-birth orders then. And I think if anyone um, doesn't know what a pre-birth order is, Wes, Andrew. I was going to say, let, let's speak to the lawyer. Yeah, tell us. <laughs> let's learn his money today. This listener wants to know, what is a pre-birth order? And how does that compare to somewhere like the USA, which a lot of people are comparing Mexico City to that particular pathway too. So first question, what's a pre-birth order and is it in place in Mexico City? So pre-birth orders are a fabulous concept that doesn't hold sway in the UK. So just a distinguish. So you need a jurisdiction that recognises the rights or something that's about to happen and will come into effect at that point. Um, so pre-birth orders in the US, particularly California, are the most notorious of them. And um, well, travel path is you obtain the order prior to the birth of the child that any child born to the surrogates will be your child. Um, the intended parent's uh, child, absolutely, from day dot. Um, the surrogate has nothing to do with them. Everything severs. And as far as the US states are concerned, that's that's your child. Obviously, the UK has nothing like that. And it's no. all post-birth for multiple reasons. But most most importantly, the surrogate is the mother of the child. Uh, that's That continues in our legal uh, system as a whole. Mexico has an interesting system, as far as I'm aware, and that comes with they can apply for pre-birth orders, but the it's very much on judicial discretion. So you are needing the judge to approve those as you go through, and that's where the help from a Mexican lawyer will help navigate that path. And then if it doesn't go through for some reason, then you've got the post-birth order route to still get uh, through to that. It gets the same effect. Mm-hmm. But it's just how long it takes and how long, which which one clearly having a pre-birth order system is superior. Yeah. It allows everybody to have the absolute certainty as to what's happening. Now, that doesn't mean that Mexico pathway doesn't have certainty. It does, but it it's a different route. And it's because it's judge-led rather than statutory, mm-hmm. like in California, you mm-hmm. are at that judicial discretion. Yeah. Um, and it, as if anybody has the displeasure of going to court, you know that you get 10 judges in a room, they'll come out with 10 different answers. Yeah, um, That is the nature of judicial discretion. And there's nothing that you can stop about that. You still get to the same endpoint. It's just how you get there might might deviate. Um, so you might say it's a hybrid between the US and UK system. I don't see any difference between them from when you come back to the UK, though. As long as you get the birth recognition, uh, from the UK perspective, I don't it's not that I don't care how you do it. I do care how you do it. But <laughs> as long as you get it and it's compliant with the local laws, there's no distinguishing feature between the US and Mexico. As long as you get there, your recognition is the same and you still do the parental order process when you come back. The same route for passports we were talking about before. Um, it doesn't matter. As long as you follow the local process, as long as you get a passport, it doesn't matter which jurisdiction you get that from, as long as you do that properly, lawfully, and then return to the UK. I think one of the things that people need to kind of prepare themselves for when they are working with a, a Me- with our Mexico City program is that sometimes things just take longer. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. Mexican auth- the Mexican authorities just take longer. And sometimes they don't give you an explanation or a reason why they're taking longer. Yeah. And I'm not saying you have to accept it, but you kind of do. Mm. And you have to go into Mexico City with a certain mindset that things sometimes take things take longer <laughs> Some things are going to feel out of control. It doesn't mean they are out of control, but you're just not getting communicated to from the Mexican authorities. Yeah, I think it's an organization will communicate with you and will help you manage and navigate that. that. Yeah. But I think it's important to set expectations. This is not California. 
This is Mexico City. It's equally not costing the same as California. Yeah. So one of our biggest challenges with the intended parents that we already have going through our Mexico City program is trying to manage their expectations and trying to keep them grounded about the process. Just because you're not hearing something doesn't mean something's not happening. It's about trusting the process, isn't it? And it that's is. what kind of where it we is. come into what we do with the network that we're working with out there, with our with the two lawyers that work on the program for us and and all of the fabulous doctors out in Mexico City. And I do think that the Mexico City program is really efficient. When when I look at the US, when I look at Canada, when I look at the UK, it's really efficient and it, a lot of the steps run in parallel. Yeah, you don't have to wait for one, do you? You don't have to wait for one step to complete another step. And you can match with a surrogate before embryos are in country. There's lots of flexibility with the Mexico City plan, which I also think is is really efficient. I think Mexico City is really efficient. You know, if you started today, you would be matched with a surrogate within three months. If then you once you're matched with a surrogate, you would then go through a legal clearance and go through a medical screening for your surrogate. And by probably month six, you'll be looking to do embryo transfer. That's everything going smoothly and yeah. according to plan. Now, obviously, we all know there are bumps in the road, but generally, that's how efficient the process is. And I'll put a caveat on that, that that was the time frames at the day that the podcast was recorded. I mean, they, they may change. And, and I think we do anticipate that Mexico City will become more and more popular, which will then put more, more demand on surrogates and will potentially extend the surrogate wait times. But as it stands right now, it's three months. And particularly if you're planning on domestic surrogacy in the UK, that's a massive difference from a two-year wait in the UK to a three-month wait. And I think that's why our pathway is really popular at the minute because of the just the sheer timescales. Mm. One of the pieces that I wanted to talk about was something that was one of the priorities when we were out in Mexico City. And that was to concentrate on the welfare of the surrogate to ensure that there was zero exploitation, zero risk of trafficking, and ensuring that their welfare was looked after from start to finish. And that was part of the the due diligence that we all sort of committed and promised to, to, to see. Tell us a little bit about what we did or some of the conversations that you had with Mexican lawyers with regards to the welfare of surrogates in Mexico City. I think welfare of a surrogate comes front row centre in obviously our research because it's a centrepiece for when you're applying for your parental order uh, matters here you know it's a when listeners are thinking about the welfare of the surrogate it's it's not just you know how's she doing is she okay is she running long tickety-boo um it's about how she came to surrogacy as a process why she chose to do surrogacy why did she choose you to do surrogacy with when you make your application to the court here the court asks about this you know your investigating officer will look at the child's welfare but that does encompass the welfare Welfare of your surrogate and and th from start to finish. Um, so to put it in context, for me when I'm looking at these points, it is with an eye on your application for a parental order. We want you to be legal parents, and your journey to that is going to become exceptionally bumpy if there are concerns around that. And we look at other jurisdictions which aren't Mexico, and the wheels that are falling off them. Actually, sometimes they're not. I think they should have the wheels fall off because mm -hmm. their their welfare is not up to scratch. They don't treat surrogates with any modicum of respect and so going to Mexico with a very open mind and sort of not really understanding quite the full process or what safeguards they had in place it was an eye-opening experience that we went and saw and as we said before you know eyeballing each of these people meeting the surrogates so yeah. the lawyers yes we got to meet and chat to them but 
actually for me the the most eye-opening point was talking to the surrogates themselves talking to the organizations that support surrogates and what background checks and safeguards they do and the, the medical practitioners do and then the lawyers sort of funneling this all together and looking at it as a whole and making sure that the surrogates understand the legal implications obviously they don't talk about the english side but they'll be aware that it's not just in mexico that these people are doing they're helping an international couple but for me the 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 welfare assessment that the agencies and people that work on the ground can actually go out and see that the lawyers satisfy themselves with that when they are making their applications to the courts in Mexico, and the Mexicans are doing that work, that they'll assure the court about how this all came about. Who are these two foreigners coming into our country and, and engaging in surrogacy? How do we know that it's genuine? Yeah. How do we know that it's actually their embryo that was used and it's not some other? What's the safeguards that are put in place to protect your surrogate and the intended parents that everybody knows what they're doing and the, they're balanced and not just taken for a ride? Either the surrogate or... The intended parents, you know, no questions about the surrogate's welfare, but you know, we always balance both to make sure that nobody's um, nobody's taken for a ride. But the the surrogate's welfare comes front row centre because if her consent isn't then given at the end, you're not going to get your parental order. Mm-hmm. Um, an absolute certainty of life until the reforms come through. But even then, there's a question mark as to how you're going to going to achieve that if the surrogate has in any way been taken advantage of, or she didn't appreciate what she was getting herself in for, or she was um, paid an exorbitant amount of money, which overbears her free will. Uh, and these women do fantastic jobs. You know, they'll always have great admiration from across the sector, but they will have different motivations for doing it. Mm. Um, some of it will be financial, but that's okay, provided it is known about, provided it understand what it's for. Is it that she uh, wants to do it for, for that and there's a, there's a bonus and reward for that or does she need to do it for the money and there's a very subtle but quite important difference between the two yeah that's important um, and the inquiries that can go in the inquiries from all the different sectors across the Mexican route and the lawyers as well will do their own it's important to assure us that the journey is safe and secure for the surrogate and that was one of the most important elements for us was that we could say with absolute certainty that one the surrogate wasn't being exploited Two, she was being supported to the same level as intended parents because we're all about everyone getting the support they need. And we offer that level of support for surrogates in the UK, but we wanted to have assurances that if we were working on this Mexico City program, that the surrogates that the surrogates that we were engaging with were being equally supported. Because I think although it's a commercial destination mm-hmm. and some there's this perception that surrogates do it for commercial gain, they do, but ultimately they are doing it in an altruistic way too. They want to ultimately help these people, but in Mexico City and in the US, there are frameworks in place that help con- that help uh, compensate surrogates in an, in an, in a you know a recognised way. So I think some people ask me about the difference between an altruistic destination and a commercial destination, and what I say to them is is that in an altruistic destination, we cannot give you certainty about when you'll match or if you'll match because that that's what the uk is there's no certainty there right in a commercial destination like the us and in mexico city i can say with certainty that you're going to match with a surrogate because it's a commercial arrangement and the infrastructure is in place for that to happen and that's what some people just can't get their head around and that's what i think helps people decide about what destination is right for them. And if you, lovely listener, you have been watching and and seen what we do, you'll know that our pathways are all built with all of the things that you don't quite yet know you need, but we've built them in package because 
you will need them. And that's kind of how our journey went. We didn't know what we didn't know, but therefore created something that is beneficial. And with Mexico City, we researched and spoke to people that had done international journeys and we built all of the benefits in that would be really valuable to people, didn't we, Wes? We did. And what we wanted to make sure is that as I mentioned earlier, there's this gap in the middle and some people don't have the budget for the US but don't have the time to wait for the UK. We wanted to make a destination that was accessible from a financial point of view. We we, we recognise how important it is to give people access to this pathway. So for us, we wanted to build transparency around costs and help people understand the full amount of costs that they needed. I often hear anecdotally from people who started a journey thinking that the cost was going to be X. And when they got too far down the road to turn around, they realized it costed Y. And if they'd have known it had cost Y at the beginning, they probably wouldn't have chosen that destination. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's about making sure that they they fully understand the financial commitment of a destination right up front when they're making their decision. And for us, creating an inclusive package that details the full cost breakdown of all of the components and elements, including the return legals, which Mm. we've included in there, includes surrogates expenses, it includes surrogates compensation, it includes your Mexican legal fees, includes IVF, includes exporting. So there's, there's, there's lot, there's everything in there that you need. You know, there are some exclusions, you know, newborn insurance is excluded. We are working on an element where we can include that in. But for various reasons, that was excluded. But we're, again, we're transparent about what's in and what's out because people need to know what, what that looks like. We even help you understand what it's going to cost to be in Mexico City for three months post-birth, you know, wh- what, what your general flights are going to cost. So building that cost profile up at the start is really important. Mm-hmm. And we've worked with some great partners to, to bring all of that in and procure all of those services to, to make it an affordable package. Andrew, someone's engaging with you as one of the two lawyers that are on this package what can they expect fabulousness oh we know that we know that all part of the package uh well as i say it's good to be part from it from the start because being able to go across with you guys and actually see it and like i said before by eyeballing it all and actually seeing what's happening and talking to the lawyers understanding what's then going to come and land on my desk means that all of our you know as we said before the the legal aspects or legal fees for for my work is then included within that there are always some extra things like you know courier fees and disbursements and third-party stuff that, that i can't guarantee which it will be uh, stipulated separately but the bulk of the costs are then wrapped in with here so there's no surprises uh, about what it is and the additional costs are there front row center we can probably guess what they're going to be but we don't know what they're going to be until your case comes to my door so it would be impossible to to know for sure but the 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 start to finish obviously pre-consultations usually when you start thinking about the mexico pathway coming and just having a chat making sure it is actually the right pathway for you. Like we said before, you know, if the, if you're not comfortable with the timeframes, have you actually thought about the timeframes? Is it actually the right pathway for you? Are you comfortable with the 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 timings? Are you comfortable with the destination? Are you comfortable with the legal uh, route that, that happens? The Mexican side might be okay, but maybe you're not happy with what will happen back in the UK. Is the international route right for you at all? So those kind of chats we have nice and early doors, talking about your estate, talking about your wills, making sure they're all in place. Then we moving on to obviously during the course of the pregnancy and supporting you with with um, anything the Mexican lawyer has to deal with and then picking you up at the other end, return to the UK. Um, it's a nice and straightforward one. Um, obviously, if you've got a more complicated uh, immigration status, you may require some separate and additional advice for that. But that's all very, that's something we can identify from the start. It won't come as a surprise to you. You've 
if you've got an if you've got a complicated immigration status, you probably know you can't have complicated immigration status. Um, but that's all very manageable uh, again. So that when time we come to making your parental order application, it's not a surprise. You know from the beginning what we're going to need, and every time the documents land in your inbox, whether it's from Mike and Wes, whether it's from the lawyers, whether it's from a consulate, whether it's from the clinic, we know what it is because yeah. we know the journey. We know what they can and can't do in Mexico. And it means that you've just got a little folder on your laptop. You just drop stuff in as it comes in. And when you come back to me, you pass over the folder electronically rather than paper, please. <laughs> and I think because we work so closely together, we've kind of pulled all of the components that you need throughout the journey close together. And what that means is that they're all working you know, in collaboration with each other so that when you do get to the end point, you will have everything you need because we'll have prepared you for that. You know, we're very specific about the documentation that you need for your Mexican lawyer. That also then ties into your UK lawyer. Everything's joined up because ultimately what we're trying to do here is is offer the best chances of success by making the process as streamlined, collaborative with all our partners. And we are kind of the glue that pulls everything together. But we have a really strong team who work with you for every stage of the journey. And like everything with My Surrogacy Journey, there are benefits to help you all the way along and they kick in as you need them. But, you know, and, and one of the reasons why we have two lawyers, you know, Natalie and Andrew, who work with our Mexican IPs is because they've been out to Mexico City. They understand the process. They are set up so that they can help you in the in the best possible way because of the infrastructure that we've built. So, you know, you can absolutely use a lawyer out there if you want to use your own lawyer. You've already got an affiliate, but our package is designed with, with all of that in mind and the lawyers that we work with. So when it comes to packages, we have tried to consider everyone on this journey. So if you've got embryos already, either in a UK clinic or somewhere that we need to ship them to Mexico City, we have a package for you that includes the shipping. If you're creating embryos and using donor eggs in Mexico City, we've created a package for that. So we've tried to think of all of the different components that our intended parents need and created a package which is specific for your needs. And if you wanted more information on the Mexico City Pathway, you can just head to the website and you can download the e-brochure for the Mexico City Pack. Andrew, thank you so much. That was an absolute pleasure. Um, it's always good seeing your face. And uh, thanks for joining us today and educating our listeners on Mexico City. Absolute pleasure. Wonderful to see you both. This has been great. It's been so lovely to be back in the studio. It has. I now desperately want to go back to Mexico City and I'm not even going on the next trip. We hope you've enjoyed learning all about Mexico City and the fact that this could be a credible option for you. Whatever the stage of your journey that you're at, get in touch if you want more information. We'll have a new episode coming out every Monday, so stay tuned to our socials to see what's coming. There are some real gems. I can't wait to see what you think. If you want to find out more about My Surrogacy Journey, then head over to our website, www.mysurrogacyjourney.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook, official My Surrogacy Journey. So Wes, we need to thank our lovely sponsor. We do. This season's sponsor is the wonderful team at Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre. And we love the team at Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre. We do. They take immense pride in providing medical services of the highest calibre, tailored to suit the individual needs of each patient. In a friendly, supportive, inclusive and caring environment, Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre is a leading surrogacy clinic 
and was awarded surrogacy fertility clinic of the year in 2008 and 2022 if you like this episode then please subscribe to the series and we will have another episode coming out every week thanks for listening we have been your my surrogacy journey podcast hosts goodbye goodbye <laughs>